If you have your Bibles, we do turn to the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 2, and uh, we are going to continue our series today. If you joined us last week, you heard that last week we started a new series in Revelation called Overcomer. Overcomer, seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, it's the first series in the history of Bridge that we've actually done in the book of Revelation. Um, looking back at some of my notes, I realize we've gone through quite a number of books, but Revelation isn't one that we've actually touched on before, at least in a chunk of, uh, of Scripture. But just I wanted to give you a quick recap about why we're doing this series and a little bit about Revelation so you understand what's happening here in Revelation. Um, but Revelation was a book written by the Apostle John. Uh, he is the John that you see in the Gospel John. He's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was the one that was closest to Jesus, the one that laid on Jesus' uh, chest during the Last Supper. He was the one when Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus looked at him and said, Mother, here is your son, and son, here is your mother. John is responsible for penning five of the New Testament books, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. And this book, the final book, John wrote when he was about 90 years old, approximately, and he did it while he was on the island of Patmos. And Patmos was an imprisonment It was a penal colony, if you will, that they actually put people on this rock in the Mediterranean or Aegean Sea, and they broke rocks. It was a punishment. John's punishment or John's crime was being a follower of Christ and continuing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he went to prison for. So at 90 years old, he's on this island, and he's pounding rocks, and they sent him there to shut him up because John had quite the influence in Asia Minor and in Turkey, which is the modern-day Turkey. And he influenced a lot of people, planted a lot of churches, and there was a lot of, of momentum as a result of John's influence. While he was on the island of Patmos, he gets a vision from an angel, and the angel gives him the book of Revelation. He writes down the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, there's three different components. In the beginning, there's the image of Jesus that gives him a clear picture of the awe-inspiring image of Jesus things that we need to recognize about who Jesus is. Then he gets a a perspective in chapter 2 and chapter 3 about things that are present. And there's a letter that he he gets for seven different churches, seven letters for seven churches. And each one of those church letters are intentionally written to a specific church at that time. But those letters are also, some believe, appropriate for um, periods of time in our world that church each church represents a time of our church, but it's also applicable for each one of us. And then after chapter three in verse uh, chapter four through twenty-two, we see things that are to come, and that's where most people associate, or that's what most people associate Revelation with, are the things to come and and what's going to happen in the last days or the end times when Jesus does return. So in the process of doing all of this, I have to ask the question, why is it important to look at the seven letters? And I think really I'm just going to condense it to say this. Um, whether he's writing to one church individually, seven times, seven different churches, or he's writing for a season of church, or it's something that applies to us. The point of the matter is, and what matters here, is that there is something in each one of these letters that can apply to us today individually. And before we look at individuals, before we look at the people around us to say how it could apply to them, let's ask ourselves how it could apply to us. Because if I look at this through the lens of how this speaks to me first, and I do something about it, it will affect the people around me. And then those people will affect the people around them, 
those people will affect the people around them, and that's the way it goes, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're not really looking to say which one of these apply to bridge. We're saying across these seven, which one of these or which ones of these may apply to us individually, because it doesn't take long for individual things to creep in to a group, and then it does apply to people. So we want to ask ourselves, let's, we're going to ask ourselves to do a health check each week and to look at the letters to the seven churches and see how they apply to us today and what God may be speaking to us through these letters. Of the letters, there are seven letters. Five of them are correction letters and commendation letters where he offers praise to the churches and he also corrects the churches. Um, Today, we are going to look at the second church in the list and we're going to look at the church by the name of Smyrna. Now, last week, if you were here, we looked at Ephesus, and Ephesus received strong condemnation in addition to praise because they walked away from their first love. I'm encouraged to tell you today that in the letter to Smyrna, there was no condemnation. There was no correction, I should say, not condemnation. There was correction. There was only praise to the church of Smyrna. So I'm encouraged when I look at that. The church of Smyrna has no correction, only praise. But it comes with a with a catch. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin looking at verse 8 to talk, to talk about this. So, beginning in verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. That's Jesus. Verse 9, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. We're going to stop there just for a moment. And we're going to talk a little bit about Smyrna. These are powerful words. These are powerful words. Jesus is saying to this church, I know about your afflictions and your poverty, yet I know that you're rich. I know about the slander, and I know about those that call themselves Jews, but they're really not. And he begins off by telling them right out of the gate that he sees them exactly the way they are. Now, Smyrna still exists today. It's in modern Turkey, or what they call Asia Minor during that time, and the name of the city is called Izmir today. It does still exist, and there is still a church there today, a Christian church. The reputation of Smyrna during the time of the writing was was that it was the most beautiful city of all the cities in Asia Minor. If you went to Smyrna you experienced a beautiful city. It was full of all kinds of interesting things. They were known for their beauty, extreme beauty. The setting alone was beautiful. You know, the image of like the perfect getaway, Smyrna would be one of those places that you would go to. The city was close to the Aegean Sea, so there was access to a seaport, and it brought all kinds of diversity and goods and services and people, and people really liked that city. So it was full of life, and it was a thriving city from that perspective. Yet, when Jesus addresses the church in Smyrna, he says to them, I know you are poor, though even though you are poor, you are very rich. So how do Christians in one of the most beautiful cities really be poor? How do they end up poor? Well, because they were poor. (laughs) This isn't rocket science. Let me explain what I mean. The actual word for poor, this is incredible. The actual word for poor in this passage means the status of having little 
or no money, and few or no material possessions. It was understood when they used this word that it was a status of having to beg to survive. So how does a wealthy city with all of these opportunities for people turn out wealthy, prosperous people except for Christians? The answer to that is persecution. You see, Smyrna may have been the most beautiful of all the cities in in Asia Minor, but it was also the most heavily persecuted city in all of Asia Minor. The persecution that Smyrna had to deal with and the Christians in Smyrna had to deal with were unprecedented types of persecution. I'm going to show you some examples in just a little bit. But what I want you to hear through all of this is that there was a direct effort to attack and persecute Christians in Smyrna, but not just Smyrna. You see, if you look over the first few hundred years of the Christian church's existence under the Roman Empire, churches were persecuted. Christians were persecuted. That's the way that it was. And when I mean persecution, I mean persecution against Christianity. It legitimately was things that required them to hide in catacombs to worship. It required them to be on their guard because they could be caught for worshiping Jesus. They could be thrown in prison. They could be tortured. They could be sentenced to death. And this happened all through the early church. The Emperor Nero that some of you have heard of burned Christians at the stake. And there's one story in Roman history that says from one city to the next, there were posts of Christians on stakes that were burned and served as lamplights as Christians were being burned so that other people could travel from one area of the country to the other. And they did that in the thousands because of people's faith for Jesus Christ, or their faith in Jesus Christ. Fast forward a few hundred years to around 285 AD, the emperor Diocletian was in reign during the age of the martyrs. And during the age of the martyrs, they saw Christians evicted from their homes. They were forced to burn copies of scriptures or pieces of scriptures, and they were fed to lions as public sport. Now, we've heard this before. If you have any understanding history of what happened in the Colosseums and what happened in in the Roman Empire where people were thrown into these Colosseums and fed to lions and people watched, many of those people that were thrown into the the Colosseums to be uh, tortured and killed by wild animals were Christians simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Some historians have noted that in the first 300 years of Christianity, listen, there were over 7 million people who were Christians. And over 2 million of them were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Almost one-third of the people they estimated that became followers of Jesus were murdered for the sake of Jesus Christ in the first 300 years that Christianity began. In Smyrna, persecution was real and persecution was on the rise. Every year, in fact, and this is how crazy, and this is what mankind does. It's not just the Roman Empire. We do this today and we see this in different ways. Every year, each person in the city had to burn incense to Caesar. And Caesar's the the emperor of all of Rome. And by burning incense, they were making a declaration that Caesar was Lord. And if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do it. And your life was on the line. And that's why so many people were persecuted, tortured, harassed, killed. 
The scripture mentions that we just read the slander that happens with Jews. Jews of the city did what they could to remove believing Jews from the synagogues. You see, some of the Jewish people in Smyrna had a lot of Jewish people in it. When they came to Christ and they followed Jesus, believed him as their Messiah, they still wanted to go in the synagogues. And the Jewish people did everything they could to keep them out of the synagogues. So they slandered the Christians. And they said that Christians were sexually immoral. They said they didn't follow the practices of family values because they called each other brothers and sisters. And just by calling themselves brothers and sisters, there were no fathers or mothers, so they didn't believe in family. They told people that they ate the body and the blood of Christ during meals. That when they had communion and they associated it with the body and the blood, that these people are cannibalistic. And they actually physically eat bodies. They did everything they could to paint the worst possible picture for Christians. And what Jesus is saying to the church here in Smyrna is that, I see you. I see you. And I want to praise you for being a church that understands that even though you are poor, you are rich. Even though you suffer slander, you're okay. Jesus just praised them for who they were. And in verse 10, he told them it was going to get worse. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look at this. Oh, my goodness. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, the 10 days, some people believe, um, may not refer to a literal 10 days. It may just be for a short period of time. But the whole point he's trying to say here is that the persecution that you're experiencing, remember, this was written around 90 AD. The persecution that you're going to experience is going to increase, but it's only for a short while. Persevere through it, and you will see that you will receive a victor's crown. This is why Smyrna, I believe, was elevated in the mind of Jesus when he wrote to them. Because he said, you guys have nothing. And the reason why they have nothing is because of their faith in Christ. Imagine living in a place where you can't be public for your faith without suffering persecution. We don't really understand what that looks like in our country. And you know what? As I was preparing this message this week, I was saying, how in the world do we try to understand and communicate persecution to the United States of American churches? when we do not live in a persecuted country. People could say, well, you don't know. My life is pretty difficult. No, persecution to us looks more like, I don't like my job. God, help me get a better job. Or it's really tough in this, oh, my girlfriend is just, God, can you help me? Why won't I find a spouse? Where is the guy that you've called me? And listen, I'm not marginalizing these questions. These are real life things. But we have confused hardship and suffering with real biblical persecution. Persecution is not enduring difficult things. Persecution is being, excuse me, (coughs) persecution is being tortured or being penalized for your faith in Jesus Christ. Where does that happen in our country? You don't get the job because you're a follower of Christ. You pay more because you know Jesus. You can't attend because you worship the Most High God. Where does that happen in this country? It doesn't. 
There may be individuals that do little things here or there, but we don't live in a country that really understands persecution. And yet they did, and they continued to be faithful. And I believe that's why Jesus was saying, you have nothing, but you have everything. You don't own anything, but you have everything. You with me? Does it make sense what he's saying? It's so powerful, the message he's giving to the church. He's saying you're persevering through the suffering and the persecution, and I want you to know I see you, and I want you to know that I am going to show you a victor's crown. Just because in our country we don't understand persecution like they understood it, let us not at all think that it doesn't happen in our world. The church is being persecuted across the world. The Gospel Coalition did a study and an analysis, and this is some of the stuff that they found out with some of the most common examples of persecution that are happening right now. And the study was done just over the last two years. In North Korea, worship of God challenges their political agenda that their leader is God. Why? Because the, leader, the people of North Korea want the people of North Korea to believe that their leader, their supreme leader, is deity. So to worship anything else other than Kim Jong, what's his name? Little Rocket Man. Did I just say that? Forgive me. <laughs> Christians are identified for worshiping God. Christians are found to be practicing their faith. They're imprisoned. Their family members, who may not even be Christians, are sent to labor camps. In fact, the State Department, the United States State Department, estimates that there are between 80 and 120,000 political prisoners right now in North Korean labor camps. And of that 120,000, 50,000 are believed to be Christians. They're not there because they're opposing the government. They're there because they love Jesus. In forced labor, struggling. In China, your Bible can be rewritten. Churches are shuttered and closed, and pastors are imprisoned for their faith. In Burma, or Myanmar, as uh, Tim O'Brien said last week, churches have been destroyed, and some buildings are no longer permitted to hold worship services. When I went to Tanzania over 10 years ago at a Bible school, and I taught in a Bible school, I was in the southernmost part of Tanzania in a little town called Matwara. And there were a handful of Bible students that came from Mozambique, and I was able to meet with them. And they spent two days traveling to this Bible school from Mozambique. Most of the time, they walked across the border, and they walked miles to get to this Bible school. And I remember one of the gentlemen that I talked to, he was a, maybe in his like late 20s, early 30s, and he was talking to me about the struggles they have in Mozambique as being Christians. And he told me that, When they were identified as Christians in his village, the village was invaded by locals. They chased them out of their own village and they burned their village down. And then he picked up his pant leg and he showed me a scar that looked like it was about 18 inches long from where a guy got him with a machete when he was running for his life. And his whole leg was lacerated all the way from his ankle all the way up to his knee. Don't tell me persecution is not happening in this world. We may not experience it, but it is happening in this world. Every year as a church, we do the secret church initiative on a Friday night for six hours of intense Bible teaching. Why do we do that? Just to try to simulate what it's like for areas of, our, of, areas of the world to experience what it means to love God in an environment that doesn't allow God. The persecuted church is real. The persecuted church 
is something that we need to be aware of today. And we need to understand that there are actual benefits to the persecuted church. Now, you may sit here and go, benefits to being persecuted? Like, how many of us would sign up to be persecuted? I know I don't want to get in line for that, right? I mean, how many of us, really, don't raise your hand, please, because people will think you're strange. How many of us would want to say, I want to be persecuted? None of us would really want to, but there are benefits that we see in Scripture, and the benefits show up even in this verse, even in this passage, when Jesus spoke to the church and said, you're the poorest of the poor of the poor, but you have everything. Why? Because of persecution. This morning, I want to show you two brief benefits of persecution. Number one is the persecution spreads the gospel. Persecution spreads the gospel. There is no better way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ than to do it through persecution. There was a Christian writer who lived around 200 AD. His name was Tertullian, and this is what he said. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What is he saying? Those who lay their life down for the church through persecution multiply its effectiveness. And it spreads the gospel message. When Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Matthew 28. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What is he saying? In your hometown, you're going to be my witness. In the nation of Israel, you're going to be my witness. All around the world, you are going to be my witness. That requires them to go. And when the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit fell on them, what did they do? They stayed where they were. And they didn't go to the nations. You know what brought them to the nations? Persecution. When the church became persecuted, they scattered. And when they scattered, the message of Jesus took off. In 312 AD, that's when everything changed because the emperor of Rome, his name was Constantine, became a Christian. And now what was illegal, where people were persecuted to be a Christian, became vogue and trendy. And the church became the religion of the government. And some of you know, Constantine set up Constantinople. Some of you know this a little bit. The church became, and that's when all of the buildings came up. That's when all the things got organized and structured. And can I tell you, in some way, that's also when the church began to lose some of its power. Because the persecuted church, the persecuted church multiplies and spreads the gospel. The second thing I want to mention today is that the persecuted church, or persecution in general, purifies the church purifies the church. Under persecution, you know what you believe. Under persecution, you either stand up for it or you walk away. There is no in-between. There's a book. I highly encourage you to read this book if, you, if you're in a good place and you don't want to be discouraged. Um, it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's an older book, and it talks about Christian tradition, about all of the main leaders of the faith dating back to the apostles. Through cr- tr- Christian tradition, how did these men die for the last few centuries? And what you see consistently, especially with the early Christian church, is that all but one of the apostles died a martyr's death. In different places of the world, they all died a martyr's death because they were fully vested and believed so much that they could not abandon their faith. One of the most well-known leaders of the church of Smyrna was a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor or the bishop of Smyrna. 
He was a student and he knew the apostle John. This guy knew John. History tells us that John most likely appointed him as the pastor of Smyrna. One night, Polycarp had a vision and a dream. And in his dream, his pillow caught fire. He believed it was a warning from God showing him that he would be burned at the stake for his faith in the city that he loved. A few days later, guards came for him and they brought him before the proconsul of the city. He offered a meal to the guards before they took him and he requested one hour to pray before he would go. And the impact of that one hour, it was written down in the history books. It was written down that the impact of the, of the prayer made such an impact on the guards that they felt guilty for being people that would extinguish the life of this godly man. Even the Roman leader that he went to pleaded with Polycarp to deny his faith so he didn't have to die. And this is what Polycarp's response was. It's one of his most famous uh, quotes. He says this to the Roman leader. He says, 80 and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And at 86 years old, they burned him at the stake. What's amazing of that story is that the crowds came with sticks, they piled up the wood, and they prepared to nail him to the stake. And as it's written in the martyrdom of Polycarp, this is what he says. He says, leave me as I am. For he who gives me the power to endure the fire will grant me to remain, or grant me to remain in the flames unmoved, even without the security you will give me by the binding. What is he saying? That he is so in love with his Lord. And the power of knowing Jesus is so great. You don't have to hold me in the fire. He'll sustain me through the fire. And they didn't bind him, and he stayed in the fire. History says the fire didn't consume him, that there was a wind that came and swept the fire away, so a guard had to stab him to bring his death. He was at least the 12th martyr in the city of Smyrna. You might be here this morning thinking, this is kind of (laughs) heavy. I told you, this is a tough week as I was presenting this and putting it together. I want you to know something, though. I want you to know that persecution is not always a bad thing. Persecution spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it purifies the church. Pastor Wayne Cordero pastors a large church in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I want to show you a video clip for a few minutes of something he shared regarding his experience in China a few years ago. Let me finish with this uh, story. Uh, we go to China from time to time, and, and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time, we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunan province, and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around, and I said, Now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, Oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours, and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, You're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. 
And I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway. And as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize so many chapters? She said, in prison. She said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? She said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? (laughs) I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Isn't that incredible? And that was only a few years ago. As our team comes up to close this morning, I want to turn your attention to verse 11. Verse 11. Because the message of persecution isn't supposed to be a weighty message. It's not supposed to be a message that discourages us or brings us down. Look what he says in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the church is, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What I believe he's trying to teach and what he's saying to the church is simply this. Jesus 
overcomes our suffering. Jesus overcomes our suffering. Meaning what I said during our worship time. Persecution may purify the church. And what does it do? It gets our eyes off of the here and now and our eyes to eternity. It reminds us that we don't just live for this world. We live for the world to come. That the God who died for us on that cross didn't just do it so we could have our best life now. He did it so that we could have life for eternity. Amen? That's what we need to remember, that Jesus overcomes our suffering. So whatever it is we go through in this world... Whatever it is we have to face in this world, we can know that we know that we know that we cannot be defeated because Jesus overcomes it all. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 through 10, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through death, I'm sorry, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. The message is the same all through the scriptures. Jesus overcomes all suffering. Jesus overcomes all persecution. Jesus, yes, is worth dying for. But can I tell you, we're in a place where we don't need to worry about our faith. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about laying our life down for our faith. Can I tell you just how much more does God entrust us with that to be effective in the world? You're with me? Do you hear what I'm saying? It's so important for us to recognize for those that are given much and God has entrusted us with with much, how effective are we being for the gospel? And you know where it starts? It starts right here in our hearts. As the team plays this this song, I'm gonna invite you if you would like to stand. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to get water baptized and you know Jesus, This is an opportunity for you to stand before the church and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to take another step. I'm not going to monkey with this. Can I tell you, the American church, I I grieve when I see myself sometimes and I see the larger church to say, what have we become? And the words of Pastor Wayne just echo in my mind. I will not pray that we become like you. I'm sorry, I will not pray that you become like us, but I will pray that we become like you. God, refine us this morning. Purify our hearts. Draw us closer to you so that our faith is not something that we've inherited from our families or through tradition, but our faith is something that challenges us in the core of who we are. Would you stand with me, please? I just pray, Lord, for each person that's here. Pastor Brian, if you would come up to the front, the team's gonna close in this song, and I just ask right now in Jesus' name, If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ and you say, I want to choose to follow Christ, then let's follow him. Come up and we're going to walk you through how to do that. And you can get water baptized this morning. And if you're a believer today and you've never taken that step during this song, you can come forward and we will set you up to get in that tank and begin a new step in your faith to walk with Jesus. You're welcome to come as the team sings.